Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the April 16th edition of the PFF Forecast. Uh, we are here to celebrate the return of the Los Angeles Lakers to championship contention. I promise we'll only spend the first 15 minutes of the podcast talking about that, going into great depth uh, about the greatest ever play, the GOAT, Austin Reeves himself. No, we're actually going to do a mock draft. We're doing an analytics mock backed by popular demand. Uh, Arjun, Brad, and I will talk through the top 10 here as we kind of build it out. Our final version will be released on Tuesday, but we're going to have some good discussion on what that top 10 should look like. It includes a trade. Uh, it includes some quarterbacks, not surprisingly. Uh, and it includes a running back. And we have to find out. Here we go. Let's rock. Arjun, it looks beautiful on you, man. Can you can you make sure that you can just like maybe we need to just see the, the what there it is. Yeah. Lake Town is back. It was I think I did predict that the Lakers would give the Grizzlies some trouble like a week ago or something, just because Lakers are a little bit bigger than the Grizzlies are now and have a little bit more front court depth. But I mean Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves just going crazy. That was just not what I was expecting for from the Lakers uh, today. So very very happy with that performance, but definitely going to need to have like Braun and AD kind of carry the load because Rui and uh, Reeves aren't going to be doing that every single game. My favorite thing was that LeBron, a pretty quiet night for LeBron, and he deferred as you as one should to Austin Reeves in crunch time. Um, but what this what this does, Arjun and Brad, is it asserts LeBron not just as great as an on court player, but great as a GM. Because I don't know if you saw this, he knew Austin Reeves wasn't going to be just a two-way player the first time he saw him in practice, okay? He knew. So GM LeBron started working with him, got him into the got him into the starting lineup. Sage move by the best GM to ever play uh, the game of basketball. And Rui Hachimura, a trade by, by GM LeBron that was orchestrated perfectly. So um, to be seen if, if AD and LeBron can stay healthy enough to provide the support that Austin Reeves and Rui need uh, to carry them to a championship. But we'll see. Um, okay. Brad, real quick, uh, you have a great story about um, your golf betting weekend. <laughs> so we, yeah. we left on Wednesday. You were going to back Patrick Cantlay, the least backable uh, athlete on the planet right now because he takes so damn long to play the game of golf. But he has played really well at Harbortown. How'd that go for you? 
Yeah, so uh, he did have like a, a great, I thought, an all-time flex. So he was, you know, getting a lot of, you know, criticism for playing too slow at, at the mm-hmm. Masters. The day, uh, the last day, he was ahead of the final group and just took forever. Everyone was blaming him. In this tournament at Harbortown, where he came into t- top 10 for the last five years, he, of course, came in third. Uh, there was a two-player playoff, Matthew Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth, and then Patrick Cantlay was just behind them one stroke. But he did have an all-time flex. He had a hole-in-one on Friday, and he mm. tweeted out the video of the hole-in-one, and it just said, playing faster, and it was kind, of a, it was kind of a flex. Uh, but anyway, as, as always, on Sunday, he did not show up. He shot like two under. Everyone else went low. We did talk about not betting on guys who play well at the course, but Jordan Spieth won last year and was in a playoff, and Patrick Cantley, I think, came in second and came in second mm. again or third. So clearly guys that play well at Town play well. Um, and the last, the last note is – yeah, tough day for the futures. Uh, my dad, I think, followed 24 holes of golf today, and I just got an expletive text at the, uh, on the last hole because he, <laughs> he was he was riding Jordan Spieth all the way. So Jordan Spieth lost to a guy. We were talking about slow play, okay? Matthew Fitzpatrick, if anyone has watched this and, and didn't watch it today, the dude lays down to read his putts, and his caddy does too. If you see that on a course, I'm get, I'm leaving. I can't, I can't root for a guy like that. I love the story. Like, you know, obviously he's like the underdog against Jordan Spieth, whatever. And people are cheering for speed, but you immediately lose my respect when you have to lay down. It looked, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. The last time I saw someone like laying down in, in that kind of a situation, they were like in church. They were feeling, feeling the Holy Spirit. Oh, we yeah. do have to look. Look, he is all – first of all, the guy's a major winner, obviously a fantastic player in his own right. We do, as an analytics podcast, about to do an analytics pod. I also think this is an annoying trend, but he basically popularized leaving the stick in the yeah. hole. That is pretty much a Matthew Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, like revolution. So, yes, it, it's kind of nerdy. He takes notes on every single hole, apparently. He jots down exactly what he did. Every single hole he plays, which sounds like golf would be not, not fun in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but I guess winning millions of dollars is probably pretty fun. Will Chamberlain did the same thing. <laughs> um, okay, let's get into uh, let's get into the analytics mock. So uh, for people that are new, new members of the printing press, first off, go join the PFF printing press Discord. As we get closer to draft day, it is going to be the best place to quickly get information and place draft prop bets. Um, so go get involved. The link is in the description. Also can find it on uh, our Twitter pages. What we do is we are going to take the uh, point of view of we are the GMs of a team. Um, we are analytically minded. We are not uh, going to be disturbed by the narratives that are popular out there. We're not weak. We actually stick by the numbers. There are many out there that are convenient uh, math minds, if you will, that when it confirms their bias, they're happy to parade around that uh, they believe in the analytics. And then as soon as something doesn't jive with what they like, they, they you know, run and hide. That's not what we're going to do here. Um, so we're going to go through the top 10. This is not meant to be predictive, although we will call out where we think it is going to align. And I do actually, in looking at this, I think there is a lot of alignment, which is very different than what we've had recently. Um, I remember a couple of good nuggets from uh, analytics mocks in the past. Um, my, my favorite was how mad the Atlanta Falcons got when we gave them Jamar Chase. Uh, they were just absolutely furious. That's one of my favorites. Um, so hopefully there'll be a couple of more mad uh, mad teams here. There is one trade. We'll talk about it as well. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play uh, 
moderator here. And we'll start with the Carolina Panthers and we'll alternate kind of going back and forth, Brad and Arjun, and you announce the pick and we can discuss it. So Carolina Panthers at number one, Brad, who are they taking? The Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. All right. Uh, Arjun, why? Yeah, so I think Young overall, like a lot of his uh, numbers are, are great. He, he graded out very well by PFF. He was first in grading in 2021, especially when his receiving core was one of the best in, in uh, college football. But even after losing Jamison Williams and John Mechie to the NFL, he still graded out as the ninth best quarterback uh, by PFF. Um, I think overall, he's he's a pretty good quarterback who doesn't really have a lot of negatives. I think the one big knock on him that you're going to hear throughout the draft cycle is his size. And I think like that would probably be probably be the only thing I have against Bryce Young. It's just I don't know if his body's going to be able to hold up at the next level. I think one of the things he does <clears throat> that kind of gets rid of that issue, though, is he doesn't take very many sacks. He's very elusive and he doesn't really take QB hits either. And he's very good at like finding windows to throw from that, you know, previously it's, they're not really there. So I think overall, like he's, he would be the quarterback one on most boards. And I think because of how Carolina is going to be, you know, setting up their offense, I think he would be the pick for them there as well. It's, it's hard to um, put some mathematical fine uh, tuning on the height thing, right? Because there's so much selection bias. And so you can find examples of short players um, playing really well from the quarterback position, right? Like Drew Brees, the past versions of Russell Wilson, um, you know, that the, they exist, uh, but um, they're hard to find. You don't normally get a chance if you're that uh, short. And so I guess, you know, the, the thing that's interesting here is you trade all of this draft capital to go up and get a Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is the number one guy. I personally would not trade up to one to get it. I think that's just sort of the way that I would um, that, that I would put it. But uh, I do think he has a great chance with Frank Reich. I think this is an ideal situation for uh, Bryce Young. I think relative to going to Houston, where he would have a very poor supporting cast. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think all, all those good points, you know, great under pressure, all those things. We'll get into some of the quarterbacks, not so much in that area, but I do. I think outside of size, we, I don't think we'd be talking about this. I think it would be, if he's 6'3", I think we're looking at this like Trevor Lawrence and kind of just like laughing at the idea that it wouldn't be him as the pick. Which, yeah, that, that's true, but you can't do that, right? It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor Lawrence just so happens to be, you know, 6'5". Um I do think the fact that he had such a bad supporting cast, like that's a great point. It has a good supporting cast. I think his numbers, you know, kind of go, um, blow stuff out of the water. Um, okay. Let's move on to number two, where I think it gets more interesting. Uh, at number two, the Houston Texans are staying at number two. Arjun, who are they taking? So at number two, the Texans will take uh, CJ Stroud out of Ohio state. Okay. I'm ready to argue here. Why? Yeah. So I'll jump in. So CJ Stroud, uh, the last two years was our second most accurate quarterback in all of FBS. And this past year alone, uh, charted as accurate on 68.2% of throws second in all of the FBS. Again, there are some question marks. You look at him under pressure, not great. That is an unstable metric. And everyone of course points to, you know, he, he was a different player against Georgia for whatever reason, and really did look incredible outside of structure, doing all the things that we are concerned about. He looked great against the best defense maybe ever in college football. So um, with that said, if you, if you believe you can p carry that forward to the NFL level, you're confident you bring the accuracy and the improved athleticism uh, and get him as a, a good pick at number two. 
So uh, before I, I kind of play a little doubles advocate here, what do we think the chances of this actually happening are? I think we obviously the betting markets agree that Bryce Young is likely to go number one. Um, do we think, I mean, that, that we've talked about the fact that uh, his agent is David Mulligetta, who is also the agent of Deshaun Watson, notably used to play for the Houston Texans. What, what, do, you, what do you think the chance of this actually happening are, Arjun? Yeah, so I personally, I don't really think Stroud would be the pick for Houston. Even if that's what we would do, I think I think just Houston's relationship with Mulugeta is just, it's pretty bad, like especially after the Deshaun Watson thing. And so I don't necessarily think it will happen. I think like that kind of aspect has kind of been overlooked by everyone who mocks Stroud to uh, to the Texans. Um, and it, it does pose an interesting scenario where do they want to take a non-quarterback at two, which the surplus value for that is, is not going to be that high. You have you like you need to get a quarterback and there is a chance that all top all the top four quarterbacks will be gone before you pick at 12. So you might have to trade back up to get your quarterback. And so it, it's a very tough conundrum because you know, Texans have to kind of deal with that. And, you know, the, the relationship, it, it, the struggle might be between Mulugeta and the owners versus Mulugeta and Casario. And, you know, at the end of the day, like the Texans might really like Stroud, but I think it do, it will play into kind of like how they set their big board, like who they're really targeting at number two. And in my opinion, I really do think it's, they really want Bryce Young. And if he's not there, they might actually have to go with a non-quarterback or two, unless they take Richardson or Levis, um, even if they're not like the second and third quarterbacks, like it, if you're factoring out the Mulugeta situation. So I think they should take Richardson and I'll tell you why. I, I think your point about CJ Stroud and his accuracy is, is a very good one. Um, let me, let me read off the list of players that he was throwing these perfectly placed passes. <laughs> Eric Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigma, Marvin Harrison Jr. And Emeka, a Buka. Um, you probably know at least four of those guys. They could all, all the first, all of those guys, to be honest, could be first round picks. All of those guys could be like bona fide number one receivers in the league. I think Wilson and Olave are on their way. Jackson and Jigba is by far the favorite to go uh, first wide receiver in this draft. Uh, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best of all of them. <laughs> the guy's an absolute freak of nature. So when you're throwing to those guys in, I think it's actually a really good case study in what uh, NFL, how much better NFL players are than, than college players. Like these guys are just torching dudes. And you're right. He did crumble under pressure, right? When those things weren't in a perfect situation, he, he did not do well. The Texans are not exactly a team that's going to provide him with a great supporting cast. And so if I'm the Texans, here's how I would play this. I would say I need to take a shot at getting a generational player. Okay. We're not going to be a destination for, um, for free agents. Um, we have a guy that we like, that we believe in, in D'Amico Ryans. So let's take some shots at pairing him with a guy that's going to be really special. And I'd be looking ahead to next year and I'd be saying, I'm going to take a shot at Anthony Richardson. I'm going to let him go out there, see if he can be special. He wasn't super accurate in college, but he is probably the most dynamic athlete we've seen at the quarterback position, height included. You can obviously throw Michael Vick in there, Cam Newton, I think as well. Um, but he's the type of guy that could carry a team. Okay. Now, if he can't, it's going to be a disaster, but that's okay. Because we can go right back at it again and take Caleb Williams next year. But we have to be really bad. We either have to be good, he has to be good, or we want to be catastrophically bad. We want to be terrible. 
And I think that's what you get. Um, and with, with CJ Stroud, I think, you know, it's unlikely that you see any type of good play with him because of the supporting cast. And then you're sitting there going, well, you know, do we need a better supporting cast? I think at least with Richardson, you have a chance to see if that athleticism can, can play in uh, to things uh, in the league and it can translate. And if not, you kind of go right back at it. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, just to add to your point, too, uh, C.J. Stroud's left tackle, Paris Johnson, will be a top 20, probably top 15 pick. His right tackle, Dewan Jones, probably a top 40, 45 pick. His center, Luke Whippler, will be a top 60, 70 pick. Like, it's not even just the receivers. And also, I know people don't know, of the five names you listed, Emeka Buka is a legit, like, stud mm-hmm. number one receiver, too. So, um, yeah, it's all solid. I do actually think a great point at the end there, like, there is value in we don't want like you could argue Stroud maybe okay he's gonna win us like five or six games as a rookie like the Mac Jones principle right like he'll be good early and probably put us in QB purgatory but maybe does not ascend to the level we want him to whereas Richardson could be horrendous and everyone hates this but Josh Rosen is why you have Kyler Murray right like and I'm not Mm. saying Rosen was a Richardson comp he was not at all but like that was kind of the path to getting Murray. I know we all make fun of Murray now. I mean, the guy earned a second contract for a reason. Like, yeah, if you're viewing it through the lens of, you know, we're trying to either find a generational talent, find our guy, or maybe end up picking first overall, second overall for Drake May, Anthony Richardson is the argument, you know, right there. I think the one, like, counter I would present to that, and a reason why I could see the Texans want Stroud if, if they really, like, set their rankings, it is kind of how the Texans' offense will likely look like. So, uh PFF Bobby Slovak is their new OC coming from the Kyle Shanahan system, talking about a lot of uh, throws like over the middle, um, you know, a lot of play action shots where you have some crossers going and you need to have someone that can make those shots. And if you look, if you go to the PFF draft guide and you look at the heat map for CJ Stroud, there is, he, he did throw above average over the middle and in the intermediate range between like eight to 15 yards. He does have a little, like a, a hot spot there. Whereas Anthony Richardson, his hotspot in the middle of the field is a little bit more down the field it's in the 15 to 20 range and that's not necessarily where i think you know the texans will be throwing it's going to be more in like the in the 5 to 15 range just because first of all they don't really have any great receivers and second like they, they're going to want to get the ball out quick and so i think stroud kind of fits their offense maybe a little bit better but i do agree with the premise that especially being in the afc you need to have a guy that can go up against you know mahomes herbert burrow lamar uh, assuming lamar goes back to baltimore like you need to have that kind of upside guy and i, I think anthony richardson presents that but i think you know for the texans fit specifically in that offense i think stroud could could make it work a little bit better early on Currently, the odds at FanDuel, Stroud is plus 100 to go number two. Will Anderson is plus 230. Bryce Young is plus 470. Tyree Wilson is 10 to 1. Anthony Richardson is 16 to 1. And Will Levis is 16 to 1. So Stroud is the favorite. So it, it seems as though the market believes, and I know that the draft market isn't nearly as indicative of what's going to happen as, as like, you know, other markets out there because the, the limits are smaller. It's not as liquid. But th- this would say that the Mulligata thing is not getting in the way of them taking Stroud. So if you believe it is, then there's some value there. Um, you know, it wouldn't, it also, uh, you mentioned Bobby Slowick, Tomiko Ryan's also coming over from uh, San Francisco. What have they done with number two overall picks uh, recently, right? And number three overall picks, right? They've taken defensive linemen. So I think that's why you see a, a Will Anderson there, um, mm-hmm. but maybe Tyree Wilson at, at 10 to one. Uh, provide some value. Is there anything that you would guys bet you guys would bet at number for that number two 
Um, I will say, as a hedge only, I am on or will be on Will Levis over seven and a half. As a small hedge, I do not hate the idea of 16 to one for Will Levis. So a couple of just thoughts here. Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Kentucky this past year, um, or sorry, in 2021, um, was then the Rams offensive coordinator. He worked for the Rams from 2018 to 20. He is connected to all these guys that's in that, you know, McVay, Shanahan, Tree. Uh, you, you hear about Levis. Oh, yeah, he has. You know, 15-word play calls, runs a pro-style offense, all those things that, you know, we see these clips of Sean McVay, you know, saying these these ridiculously long sentences to get a play call in. So he has experience in that system. Um, I do think Houston's a fan of his. I don't think they want to take him at two. Um, but maybe they say, hey, you know what? We're not going to wait till 12. We're not going to trade up. Let's just take him now. Um, again, mostly as a hedge against my over, because I do think he's the guy that falls outside of the top 10. Um, but yeah, maybe a little value there. Yeah, no, I'm with you, Brad. I think Levis does fit um Houston also as well. Um, you look at his heat map on the PFF draft guide, like he does throw over the middle of the field at about a league average, slightly above NCAA average rate. Um, and you know, because of the zip he has on his throws, he can fit some of those tightly contested balls in there better than some of the other quarterbacks in this class. So I do like Levis at 16 to 1. Um, if you look like specifically at his like um you know team bet texans are plus 350 so i think you're right in the sense that it sounds like people believe that levis would be the pick at like 12 or if the texans trade up from 12 and it won't be at two but you know crazier things have happened and you know you never know what what the texans are going to do at that spot especially considering positional value one final thought too i know we've beaten this dead horse a million times we probably talked about div mulligetta and cj stroud too much and this is just theory not a fact what if his issue was more with Jack Easterby, who is no mm. longer there? Maybe that ju- does change the complexion of you know, does he still have an issue with the club or not? I, I don't know. I, I don't know that to be the case, but but probably worth at least noting. The Easter Bunny, we had to get him in here on this uh, this Lord's Day, it's Tiger Red uh, Sunday day. Uh, okay, number three overall, uh, we have a trade. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Arizona Cardinals are swapping picks uh before you get into the pick brad what um what do you think this would actually look like in terms of uh of a deal that's a good question so six to three for sam darnold was three second round picks that is also one of the more in you know, the pricier trades we've seen in a long time um look you're gonna get las vegas is 2024 first and then it's you know maybe throw another day two and then maybe a later pick so you know the, the headline is you will be getting las vegas is first in 2024 if they make this move sounds great for Arizona. Um, okay, so who's the pick at three? The pick at third overall is Florida's Anthony Richardson. Why, Arjun? So I think if you're the Raiders, you've seen enough of Mahomes and Herbert to know that you need a stud and you need a high upside quarterback. Otherwise, moving on from you know Derek Carr like and you're stuck in quarterback purgatory again, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So I think the Raiders kind of understand they need to chase that high upside guy. And I think Richardson does fit that. Um, Josh McDaniels has had a little bit of experience playing with an Anthony Richardson type player. He constructed a completely new offense in 2020 for Cam Newton when he was in New England. I think, you know, he's probably constructed his offense right now for Jimmy G, talking about a lot of the middle of the field throws, a lot of like quick RPO stuff. But you have another whole offseason. Let Anthony Richardson sit behind Jimmy G for a whole year. Someone who's mentored Brock Purdy, someone who's, you know, mentored Trey Lance. And now you go into the season with Jimmy G as a starter, presuming that Richardson takes over in 2024. I think, you know, if he develops and Jimmy is able to mentor him well, you know, you can kind of 
construct a new offense for Richardson or stick Richardson in the same offense as Jimmy and expand the playbook a little bit to include some of his rushing ability. But overall, I think this, this just comes down to the Raiders seeing who else is in the division, who else is in their conference and taking a chance on a high upside guy that McDaniels can uh, construct an offense around. It's interesting because actually I think for CJ Stroud, you're hoping that you go to the, the, the Raiders get an opportunity to go from throwing to guys that are wide open on a daily basis in Ohio state to throwing to Devonte Adams. You know, I think that that's a and Hunter Renfro uh, should not, you know, go unnamed here. I think that would be ideal. It's interesting because Richardson is, is, you know, very inaccurate throwing the football, um, but would have, you know, uh, out of this group of the top three, by far the best receiving core to start working with, um, which would be just, uh, you know, obviously good for him, but, but kind of interesting. Um, if this, is this the guy, you know, so this is what we would do. Brad, do you think this is, he's the favorite on, on Fandle right now to go number three. Is there any smoke to that fire? I mean, Josh McDaniels did create that offense for Cam Newton. It wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't, but with all due respect to Cam Newton, like now that we've kind of seen who he's been the last couple of years, it was about mm. as efficient as I think you could get out of Cam Newton. Cause we also shouldn't forget. It was not a very good supporting cast. Like his True. receivers at that time were not good. I think the offensive line was okay still. Um, but yeah, so um, I, I do, I think people are too stuck to, Oh, the McDaniels guys, they want statue quarterbacks. Like, I don't think that's true. Um, and I know this basically is Trey Lance behind Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think he also would get, you know, goal line packages, third down packages, even in his rookie year, if he never actually started, I think you would, a coach like McDaniels would get more out of him um, than, than a lot of other coaches would. So, you know, I get why people would say, oh, it might be Levis. They want the, you know, the high floor, safe guy, whatever. But I actually don't, I would not count them out on, you know, taking a shot here. And also, you know, because all this stuff's flying around. Like Richardson, he's raw. He has, obviously, he's not played a lot of football, but also tested super well on S2, allegedly, and all these things. Like, I think it's all there. He just needs more reps. And his Florida supporting cast was terrible. Like, we, we talked up Strouds. His Florida supporting cast mm-hmm. stunk this past year. Who's, so. who's the team other than the Raiders that – you think is trying to get up to three, right? So you guys have the, we have the Raiders making the ones making that move. Is that because they're the only ones? Is that because they offer the best package? Like Arjun, who do you think uh, other uh, besides the Raiders is trying to make that move? I think it would be the tight ends. You can kind of see it in the betting markets as well. Um, on FanDuel, they're plus 175 to draft a quarterback with their first pick. They are, the, you know, their favorite position is uh, offensive line at minus 20, 125. But on other books, like DraftKings, you know, quarterback is plus 115. And that, you know, that has been bet down since it opened. So um, I definitely think tight ends would be in play. I wouldn't, you know, Rand Carthon coming from San Francisco. He was there in San Francisco when they traded up from 12 to three. He was there in San Francisco when they traded up for an athletic quarterback in Trey Lance, who didn't really have a ton of college production, one year of starting, just like Anthony Richardson. So it's it's funny how there's a lot of parallels between San Francisco and Tennessee. And I wouldn't count out Tennessee for making a move. I honestly think they're probably the favorite over the Raiders, but I think the Raiders, because they have to give up less capital, would probably make that move uh, over the Titans. But there is a lot of similarities between what Rand Carthon had in 2020 and what the Titans have in 2023 now with uh, Brian Tannehill at quarterback and potentially training up for a Tulsi quarterback. It's worth noting that uh, there are comps for every player in the PFF NFL draft guide. You should go get it, by the way. You can get it for 30% off. Uh, as well as the premium version of the mock draft sim uh, with promo code MDS 30, 30% off. And the, uh, the cop for CJ Stroud is Ryan Tannehill. So <laughs> he's running back. 
Um, yeah. Okay, number four. The number four pick is held by the Indianapolis Colts and Jim Ursay. Arjun, who are they, they taking? So we have the Colts taking Will Levis out of Kentucky. Why, Brad? Yep. So obviously, you know, we said this is an analytics mock, all those things. We are, of course, going to go quarterback heavy here to start. Um, look, I mean, Levis, I think there are all a lot of knocks this past year, a lot of things to poke holes in. Um, he was playing through injuries. That's basically unknown at this point. I mentioned a little bit of the pro style offense. He is a pretty good athlete. He was basically like the running, you know, option quarterback at Penn State behind Sean Clifford before transferring. Uh, you know, two years ago, he was 55th for us in accuracy among all FBS quarterbacks, which sounds like a terrible number. It's not horrible. There was a 200 player sample there. Um, but yeah, does have a rocket arm, is a tough player. I think you can see some flashes on tape. You do see some airmail, some issues there. Um, but I, I think you can, like, this is kind of the toolsy prospect that we see teams fall in love with all the time. Yeah, not good for him in 2022, 68.6 PFF grade after in 2021, 90.6. Um, so, like, you know, cataclysmic drop. Arjun, who else comes to mind that's had that kind of a profile where they, they're, you know, season before their season is great. And then the last one really sucks. I, I got to be honest with you, the one that comes to mind for me, and I don't think these are necessarily a comp, but it's Josh Allen, who I think he had a 17.6 or 17.4% big time throw rate in uh, his sophomore year. And then in his junior year, he was throwing to us three out there in Wyoming. And um, it was not nearly as good. Um, anyone else come to mind for you? Yeah, I, it's, it's going to sound like a homer pick, but Justin Herbert, I think his sophomore season at mm. Oregon was tremendous. And then, you know, he kind of like got worse, I think, grading wise and statistically uh, the mm -hmm. next two years. And by, you know, his final year when he graduated and came out of uh, and declared for the draft, I think, you know, he was the consensus third best quarterback behind two and Burrow. Whereas after his junior year, he was the consensus best quarterback from his class. So I think Herbert would be another interesting one. And I have seen a little bit of the Levis Herbert comps, which I don't necess necessarily agree with. But when you have a big arm and, you know, you're physically built, I think that's the comp you're going to get a lot. I think one yes. more uh, recent memory is Jameis Winston, too. I mean, it was much better mm -hmm. his second to last college year than his final college year. That may have been kind of a focus and like all, all that type of thing. But but nevertheless, uh, you know, his second to last year was, was far superior. Yeah, 6'4", 229, 10, uh, over 10 and a half inch arms, by the way, or uh, hand size, uh, by the way. So you can hold on to the ball. That's very uh, noteworthy. Short arms, basically like T-Rex out there. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, had a just abysmal sporting cast. I mean, they were oh yeah, really, really, really terrible last year. And if you watched any Kentucky Wildcats football, you would know that. Um, he's number two on Mike Renner's uh, big board behind uh, Bryce Young. So that is notable as well. Uh, all right. We now, the only quarterback left on the board, or there's two quarterbacks left on the board that I guess could be taken. We will see. We will see. Did we take a quarterback at five? Does Hennon Hooker or Tanner McKee come off the board at five here for the Seattle Seahawks? Uh, Brad, who are they taking? Yeah, the Seattle Seahawks are taking Alabama edge defender Will Anderson. Okay, this is interesting. Why, Arjun? Yeah, so this I think this comes down to Anderson, Tyree Wilson, and Carter. I think Wilson is worse than both of them, so I would you know peg this between uh, being between Anderson and Carter. And to me, 
I think it's Anderson because the Seahawks did invest in their interior interior defensive line uh, during the offseason, you know, signing Draymond Jones for a big deal, getting back Jaron Reed. And I still think they need to add another guy there, but they have Darrell Tar- Taylor starting opposite of Chen and Nwosu at their edge position. Darrell Taylor, he's a fine rotational guy, but if you look at some of his numbers, you know, only 27 pressures this past year. That's not great for a starting guy. His uh, PFF, like pass rushing grade is pretty good, like 73.6, but, you know, that doesn't that hasn't really translated to a lot of pressure. So I think they desperate, desperately need another edge there. And I think Anderson does fit that role, 6'4", 243. I think I, I do worry about his fit in a 3-4 outside linebacker role, but I think, you know, the Seahawks are one of those teams that can be malleable with their scheme and potentially switch between 3-4 and 4-3. And I think, you know, overall, he is the best uh, defender in this class after Jalen Carter. And even though Carter might be better, I think because of how much in, uh, the Seahawks have invested in their interior, interior defensive line and how much you know they need to still invest in their edge play, players, I think Will Anderson makes sense here. And I think he would give them a huge boost um, in their hopes of pushing for another playoff run. We talked about this for a while on this podcast, the value of different positions, right? And edge uh, rusher versus interior defender has been one that we've talked about a lot. Um, You look at contract value, for example, and you've seen the gap certainly close in as defensive uh, interior linemen have gotten paid more and more. Jalen Carter, I mean, looked terrible at his pro day, but uh, on the field where it matters a little bit more, was really dominant, was number one on a lot of people's big boards for that reason. So it, this is a really interesting conversation. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that that value between edge defender and uh, an interior defender. Let's say, you know, Will Anderson, great prospect. Jalen Carter, great prospect. They both have some question marks. Let's, let's call them the same, you know, level of greatness in terms of prospect. Which one is providing more value to their team? Uh, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, so I think you look at this two different ways. So first, you mentioned the market. The edge market is still ahead. We obviously have seen some growth now. Um, actually, shout out to the Tennessee Titans, Rand Carthon, uh, and you know the, the football administration folks there. Uh, I want to say uh, Vin Marino because the Jeffrey Simmons contract, just an all-timer for the Titans. Uh, but anyway, uh, that market's going to continue to grow. We're going to see more extensions there. Had, had to get that in. Um, but nevertheless, like Nick Bosa is going to make 30-plus million this year. Um, we're going to see that market grow as well. Here's, I think, a stat that points it out. And, and it all comes down to getting after the quarterback is the first point. Uh, Will Anderson, the last two seasons, is 14th among edge defenders in pressure rate on true pass sets. We've probably explained this before, but if you don't know, true pass sets takes out screen passes, takes out play uh, throws in under two seconds. You know, a lot of the kind of fluky stuff, it's not really indicative of a pass rush scenario. At 22.9%, he's 14th among edge defenders. Jalen Carter is fourth in the country over the last two seasons in pressure rate among interior defenders at 19.6%, right? So even your best interior defender, you know, if he's even close to an edge rusher, that's that's like Aaron Donald's so insane because Aaron Donald's stats actually stack up to edge rushers. So that's point number one. Um, and then point number two is the actual scarcity in the draft. And this does tie to market value a little bit, but I think people always make the point of it's very hard to find an elite edge rusher outside the first round. You know, there's the, the, the Daniel, Daniel Hunter type players are extraordinarily rare. It is the same, you know, Jason and I wrote the book, the drafting stage about this. It's just as hard to find a truly a top level interior defender pass rusher outside of the top 50 picks. They, they don't exist. So they're, I think they're really, really close, frankly, in today's NFL. Arjun, what do you think? 
Yeah, well, I think Brad covered all the bases, and I'm I'm there. Like I'm I've officially like put interior defensive line as more of a premium position than like cornerback in in some of the work I've been doing. And I think mm-hmm. I think he's right. Like we're gonna see the interior defensive line market explode, but that's not stopping the edge market from exploding as well. And I think because edge rushers do have more of an impact on the passing game, I think overall they are more important in in today's NFL. Um, one of the things I did for my, like we, we did for our big data bull submission, like me and, you know, Tate's Tate, who was on the pod, you know, a couple of months ago, we did look at like what mattered more in predicting who was going to get a sack and um, being an edge position had more of a feature importance in our like XG boost model than being an interior defense alignment. So I think there are, there's a lot, there's a lot of evidence pointing to edge being a, lot, a little bit more important than interior defensive line and because the top you know if you look at like the top 10 apys at each position i think edge still holds you know the throne over interior defense interior defensive line so i think at this point i would still consider edge to be more of a premium position and more important than interior defensive line i'm with you guys there i'll throw one more data point in here top 10 players in terms of pff wins above replacement last year across all defensive linemen Seven of them are edge defenders. Uh, three of them are interior defenders. Chris Jones, Derek, uh, Dexter Lawrence, and, and Aaron Donald. Um, Chris Jones was the highest. He was in third. And, and the gap wasn't uh, massive between Chris Jones, Miles Garrett, and, and Max Crosby were the two guys ahead of him. Look at Mike Parsons, who was right behind him. So I do think it's close. I, I still think it's it's a worthwhile discussion. Uh, the scarcity thing is, is another really good point. I would lean edge as well. Um, and um, I think you still have to, but the, the conversation around corner, I think also becomes really interesting. We'll get into that here in just a second. Let's go to pick number six at, uh, at number six overall, who is coming off the board? I think this is you Arjun. Yeah. So at number six, we have the D- Detroit Lions taking Jalen Carter defensive tackle out of Georgia. And this one, Brad, obviously we just had this kind of debate between these two. I'm guessing here the debate for them and and the debate we had to have is, okay, can't cover anybody, can't stop anybody defensively. Are we going to go defensive interior or are we going to go corner? So now the question becomes, okay, how do we view that positional uh, value? And it seems like uh, the answer is defensive interior. No doubt about it. And so we didn't do this on purpose, but I do think it worked out very well to where the, the Seahawks, in my opinion, need an edge a little bit more. And the Lions, I think the biggest need of their entire roster, now that they signed Emmanuel Mosley um, and Cam Sutton, yes, they could still go corner. But I now think interior defensive line, someone to play next to Elaine McNeil is the biggest weakness on this roster. So uh, I will say one final argument. This is more for this year in this draft as opposed to overall. I think the gap between Jalen Carter and the rest of the interior defenders is a whole lot bigger than the gap between Will Anderson and the rest of the edge rushers. So maybe you can make that argument for this year alone. Um, but yeah, I already mentioned one stat, fourth in pressure rate. He was fifth in true pass set, pass rush win rate uh, the last two seasons, those being his true sophomore and true junior seasons, playing in the SEC, the third conference in football. Um, he is the he's the best prospect in this class. <laughs> so you you mentioned this, Arjun, right? I think the gap is closing. Um Let's talk the corner defensive interior conversation because you look at the, the same thing that I just mentioned, which is wins above replacement. Um, the and you compare corner to defensive interior, it's basically the same as we saw with with uh, edge defenders, where corners are still 
uh, earning more value in terms of wins above replacement. The top three guys, Sauce Gardner, Jalen Ramsey, and, and Sertan last year, all with um, uh, actually a bigger gap between them and Chris Jones than uh, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, and Chris Jones. So ha- is there another way to look at this that you think evens playing field actually brings uh, interior defender above corner? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think like the way it should be thought about is like the elite tier of both interior defense line and corner. You could make the argument that corner might actually be a little bit more important just because having a shutdown corner allows you to, you know, play a lot of different coverages. It allows you to like kind of as a defensive coordinator, believe that your one guy's going to cut off an entire part of the field. Whereas, you know, if you're, um, you know, an interior defensive line can wreck a game, just like Chris Jones has done multiple times without having much help in a corner. It's just kind of some of their parts, weak link system. Um, so I think it does come down to like kind of tearing out some of these things. So the, the elite tiers, I think you could put interior defensive line and corner on the same te- on the same like playing field. But once you get to that like second tier, second tier of interior defensive linemen or cornerbacks, um, you know, I think like you would have to put corners a little bit like the second tier corners are better than the second tier of interior defense alignment, which makes the elite guys all the more important. So if you have the chance to get in an elite defense, interior defense alignment, I think that is a little bit more valuable than an, an elite corner, just because you can like kind of make up for an elite corner by getting two $10 million guys instead of paying a $20 million guy. But it's very tough to replicate what Chris Jones does by paying, you know, two guys, $10 million, because, you know, it's no, it's, it's tough to kind of just replicate that interior elite interior defense alignment production and going off of Brad's point, like if you look at like, if you look at like the top interior defensive linemen that are paid right now, I mean, very few of them are like non-first round picks or at least mm-hmm. like non-first and second round picks. Whereas like if you look at like if you try to like find a corner in, in the late rounds of the draft, you could find a starter, you could find a JC Jackson who eventually makes sixteen point five million dollars as an undrafted guy, and just I think the overall. Uh, supply of cornerbacks is much, much higher than interior defense line in which, you know, it's it's much easier to be like a 180 or 200 pound guy than a 300 pound guy and, you know, consistently working out and stuff. Yeah, the, that's the, the planet theory, which I forget where it's from. I got to find out where, you know, basically just like how many guys are walking around the earth that are built like this? There's a mm. lot more guys that are six foot 190 than there are, you know, six, three, six, four, two, two, three hundred. But nevertheless, my biggest point here, I used to have a lot of conversations with Dr. Eric Eager back in the day was go back and look, George, like not right now, but look at the war year to year. Go look at the top 20 list. Who were the top 20 cornerbacks and wins of replacement from 2011 to 2020 each year and see how often the same names pop up. And then go look at interior defensive line and look at the top 20 and wins of a replacement and how often the same names pop up. The same names more consistently are year over year stable as opposed to, you know, because of the variance of cornerback play. That's part A. Part B, I mean, yeah, Chris Jones, the best player, probably best defensive player in the NFL this year is 29. Like, he's going to be 30 next year. Like, by the time you're 29, 30 as a corner, we're talking about, like, is this guy – I mean, Jalen Ramsey's got traded for a third-string tight end and a 77th yeah. overall pick. So, you know, there, there, some of that stuff to the age curve, I think – I mean, Clayus Campbell's, like, 40 years old, and he's still, like, pretty darn good getting fully guaranteed deals in Atlanta. So, it, It's it's a great – you guys made all the points. I had, like, a list of points I was going to make, and, like, I kept waiting – for one of you guys to shut up so I could bring one in and then you just mentioned the next point. So well done uh, by both of you. But I think the two that stand out to me, the scarcity one, hundred uh, percent. And I am like the biggest proponent of cornerbacks that you'll find on the planet. I just think 
I also love running backs as well, but you know, don't shoot me here. Um, but I can like, I try to tease the, the two apart, right. Which is like, you can love a position and what they do and acknowledge the facts. And the facts of the matter are that coverage is just way harder to predict. And uh, you, you know, we see this, it's the least stable um, of all of the positions with looking at year to year performance with PFF uh, war. It, we've, always kind of racked our brains about how to improve this. And it's one of the things that we're investing our, our efforts in on the data collection side and how we grade players and all these things. The fact of the matter is we just know a lot more about uh, defensive interior alignment. So um, the other thing that I'll, that I'll mention, I think you got at this a little bit, Arjun, is if you have a great defensive interior alignment, it does give you more flexibility with your secondary and your coverage players, whether it be your linebackers or, or your corners, to to care less about how well they play against the run. You shouldn't be caring a whole lot about how they play against the run, but also to play more uh, coverage players so that you can make up for that. And, and I think that it's very hard, as we just mentioned, to find a stud corner. Um, and you're better off, I think, trying to find solid corners that can fit your scheme. And that allows you, I think, a little more flexibility if you have a have an interior alignment. Um, all right, enough of that chatter. Let's go to pick number seven. So this was... The Las Vegas Raiders, they traded it to the Arizona Cardinals. So the Cardinals are now on the clock. Who are they taking, Brad? Cardinals are selecting Oregon cornerback Christian. Uh-oh. Gonzalez. <laughs> right, ties right into our discussion. It, it also ties perfectly into the Arizona Cardinals because they, um, they are at, uh, in a real – they're not the greatest organization on planet Earth. And Brad, you broke up like the entirety of that uh, that saying that thing. So it fits perfectly. They skipped on the internet at, at uh, in Glendale. Um, they are taking the person that Brad said had oily hips uh, oh, yeah. just a few just a few weeks ago. Uh, Christian Gonzalez out of uh, Oregon. Okay, so Arjun, we've talked a lot about Witherspoon and Gonzalez. Why Gonzalez over Witherspoon? Yeah, so I think, like, honestly, the Witherspoon-Gonzalez thing is kind of scheme-dependent. And one of the reasons, like, I, I really like Gonzalez for the Cardinals is because he was, like, very, very good in zone coverage um, this year. So according to the PFF Draft Guide in 2022, he had a 64.4 coverage grade in man coverage, but in zone coverage, he had an 84.5 grade uh, PFF coverage grade. So I think he is a little bit, a little bit more proficient in zone coverage than he is man um and you know compare that to like some like Devin Witherspoon you know it's it is a little bit different um I'm pulling up his his card right now uh so Witherspoon had actually Witherspoon graded out a little bit better uh than Gonzalez but because I think uh the Cardinals need to get like a high-end corner to replace Byron Murphy and I think they would be the team to kind of bet on some of the athletic traits that Gonzalez has you know Gonzalez is like 6'2 uh, 200 pounds where where Witherspoon um, on the other hand, is like six or 5'11", 180. So I think the Cardinals really do need a stud cornerback. And because Gonzalez, uh, you know, has been good for a while, and I think he tested very well, Monty Austin Ford coming from Tennessee has always taken some athletic guys uh, like Caleb Farley, Jeffrey Simmons. I think they would go with the more athletic prototype in Christian Gonzalez, who also played better in zone than he did man, than Devin Witherspoon, who, you know, didn't really test all that much. And even when he did test it, there were some missing numbers and he didn't, he's not as of a, as much of a physical athlete as uh, Christian Gonzalez is. Speaking of, of Phoenix and Arizona, yeah. my son's absolutely just melting right now. 
against the the heat of the Los Angeles Clippers. As I look at my parlay with the Chiefs, Suns, Max Homa, and uh, and the Dodgers. Um, so uh, I guess, uh, Brad, the question to you would be, um, you know, this is a like traits over performance, I guess, kind of uh, pick here in, in the sense that Witherspoon, I think if you look at and watch his tape a little bit better, but you look at the, the measurables for Gonzalez, it's like hard to hard to make that comparison, right? I think a little bit, yes. I also do think Christian Gonzalez, Pac-12 schedule plus Georgia. I mean, Illinois is literally playing rugby for half of their games in the Big Ten. No, all due, mm-hmm. all due respect to, to Arjun's Big Ten. So, um, you know, the actual, like, you know, with the football brand they're playing is a bit different. But also, um, look, a year and a half older, I just mentioned the age thing, is Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez. And, and I do think you are hearing everyone kind of say, Witherspoon's the man guy, Gonzalez is the zone guy. I think Gonzalez can play both. I, I think... There is a lot of people try to say they, they pigeonhole a player uh, in coverage in particular in what they can do because of what they did in college. Like not even a lot of teams play man, first of all, in college. So like, we don't even really know. Uh, like the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And, and I think Gonzalez can become a player uh, no matter no matter how you want to use them. And, and I'll use an example too. Like a Darius Slay now in his career, Darius Slay at the beginning of his career was a put him on one side, lock him down, one-on-one man, press, bump, cover, corner. He now sits in, in Gannon's soft zone. Um, you know, so it's like you, you can use guys differently and how they age and all these things. I'm obviously so biased, though. I, I just think Christian Gonzalez, like end of, uh, like, you know, the Tin Man at the end of the story, that's how oily these guys' hips are. That's incredible. Um, all right, let's go to uh, number eight. The Atlanta Falcons uh, are on the clock. Arjun, who do we have them taking? Yeah, so we have the Falcons taking edge rusher Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Right, he's yep. on the board. Uh, fine. Brad, why? Yep, so Tyree Wilson is, again, a guy that just measured like crazy. Um, didn't do full testing, but the measurements are nuts. He, he's expected to have tested well if he did. Um, can play inside, can play outside. 6'6", 275, ridiculous wingspan, all these things. He was top 20 for us, again, in true pass set, um, pass rush win rate and pressure percentage, top 20 this past year. Um, he is He's the classic, like he is this year's Trayvon Walker. I'm not comping them as stylistically players. He's just a guy that if you convince yourself you know, we bring him in, we get our hands on him, we, we build him up. Um, He could be worth, you know, this pick. He, he's that guy. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't argue with this. I think they need to go, um, they need to go defense here. Is he the favorite? Where, where is he, uh, the market's uh, leaning on him, Margin? So Tyree Wilson, um, and you know, so, so Tyree, so the Falcons specifically, they're the favorite for them is actually Bijan Wilson or Bijan Bijan Robinson, which I think is super interesting. I don't, I mean, obviously as an analytics pod doesn't, I don't really like it at all. Um, but I, I think like Tyree Wilson's over under is six and a half. If I'm not mistaken, six and a half or seven and a half. So we're projecting him to go over. I think part of that is because we're projecting four quarterbacks in the top four and that's what mm-hmm. especially we would do. Um, but I think Wilson, yeah, Wilson probably goes in the five to five to nine range. And it kind of does depend on whether, you know, Will Anderson's the pick at three or, or two or like how many quarterbacks go in the top four, to be honest. So it, it's, it's really, I think a lot of, there could be a lot of variance of draft day with this. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Number nine, uh, Brad, who's going off the board at nine. Yep. The Chicago bears uh, are taking uh, Northwestern tackle Peter Skaronsky. Oh boy. Your bears. You get to announce a bears pick. Look at you. 
Uh, Arjun, why go guard at nine? <laughs> yeah, so I think the scrawny thing is interesting. I think there are a lot of teams interested in him because he has that guard tackle flexibility. He, he's someone that if you have a, a starting tackle that could be retiring or have, has an expiring contract, contract you can play my guard for two years and then kick him out to tackle but i think in this case the bears have a glaring need at right tackle they didn't really address it in free agency i think they're coming into the draft with that hole um and i think if you're the bears like this is either going to be jalen carter or this is like a, whatever offensive alignment you think is the best pick and i think skaronsky over paris johnson um you know that kind of could be a coin flip but i think skaronsky does make sense for them if they see him as a guard you know he could be playing at guard but i think he slots in at right tackle or even left tackle and, and you move um What's Braxton Jones to right tackle? But I think for the sake of continuity, you probably want to keep Jones at left tackle and hope Skronsky can make that switch, similar to what like Tristan Wirfs did when he when he went to the Bucks. So I, I think Skronsky is the right pick here, and especially given the flexibility that he has. You know, the Bears could address right tackle later in the draft and you know keep Skronsky at guard and, and hopefully build a very, very young offensive line and, and keep you know everyone developing. But I think this is the right pick here for, for the Bears. So two thoughts here. First, just a stat. Uh, Skronsky's 1.3% pressure rate on true pass sets this past year, third in all of college football. Um, and that, of course, was all at left tackle. Uh, I do get the size concerns. You know, left tackles, arms below 33 inches. It is a big concern. I think, A, you could argue, okay, then put him at right tackle instead. We know, A, right tackle value is, is chasing left tackle a ton. And second, and this ties into our interior defensive line conversation, I'm not saying I fully buy this, but the NFL has shown us now with contracts that they do that is we're talking about the value of interior defensive linemen skyrocketing there's a reason why quentin nelson goes out and gets 20 million dollars a year and the one off season later uh we see that that contract matched by chris lindstrom of the atlanta falcons so their guards are making 20 million dollars a year now um again i'm not sure i totally buy that argument um you know do, do i think you know a top 10 pick a guard if you knew he was a guard would you be stoked about it you could argue no um, but I mean, the, the league is telling us that with the contract values. So, yeah, well, the, the important thing here, remember, is we're not shills for the league. <laughs> we, we, uh, listen to the numbers here. Okay, guys. So, um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm not paying the two teams, by the way, that you just mentioned both suck. So <laughs> before we, before we act like that is the, uh, that is the way that you, you build, you build teams. Um, I think that's ridiculous. So if you're gonna if you're gonna pick Skaronsky, it better be to play tackle in in my most humble opinion. Um, but I do like him over Paris Johnson. That's where you know our uh, all the data that we've collected um, has and and you mentioned um, as well you know that he did play tackle in college, right? So I'm saying guard kind of a little tongue in cheek there because of the um, because of the measurables, but he did play tackle. Um, and, and did so um, in a real uh, football conference, which I think is is noteworthy. Um, all right, rounding out the top 10, uh, we don't have, I guess, a projected trade with Eagles. Although, guys, if this is how it, yeah, if this is how it goes, picks one through nine, what, what are the chance? You guys think the Eagles are sitting here making this pick? No. There's no way, right? <laughs> I will, one, thing, one thing I want to point out, actually, um, you know, the Eagles offensive line, the first position to be picked offensive line open at six to one. It is now like minus 175 on mm. on various books. So I think there's a lot of people thinking the Eagles could go offensive line. And this is where I think it could be Peter Skaronsky. 
as I talked about, you know, you have Lane Johnson could retire at any time. You play Skronsky at guard, kick him out to right tackle once uh, Lane Johnson retires. Um, you know, we gave out Skronsky top 10 in the Discord because I do think uh, Scr- uh, Eagles are his floor. I don't see him getting past the Eagles if he's there. I think Eagles take Skronsky and it's a no-brainer. I think right now on DraftKings, it's like minus 120. I would still bet that up to like minus 150. Um, obviously, I'm kind of levered up with Skronsky being like first offensive line and top 10. Um, but I think the Eagles are his floor. But if he's not there, I do definitely see a tradeback scenario for someone, uh, you know, trying to get whoever they want. Yeah. Um, who who do you think, I mean, what are the players that you might trade up for at this point? Is it a, is it a JSN? Is someone trading up for Paris Johnson? Like what? Well, you were the one, I'll say this, you're talking about the numbies. I know he didn't play a ton, but I, I think Lucas Van Ness is going to go pretty darn early in this draft. Right. Um, so I mentioned Tyree Wilson and Will Anderson's uh, numbers before. Lucas Van Ness is better than both. 12th in pass rush win rate on true pass sets. Actually, fourth in pressure rate this past year on true pass sets. Now, a bit of a sample size issue. Everyone's everyone talked about. He did not play enough. But I think teams are kind of falling in love with who he is as an athlete. Um, I would say that Houston at 12, I would guess, is probably his floor. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so let's talk with the Eagles. Let's say they stay here. Why Why not take Van Ness? What, what, do, what do we think like what would we do in this position? I guess um, I think Van Ness is a great uh, a great option. They have some aging defensive linemen um, that the Eagles do. Um, but uh, Arjun, what do we what do we think here? Yeah, so the Eagles like edge position is kind of weird. They have Brandon Graham, who they brought back. They re-signed Josh Josh Sweat like early, or they extended him. Uh, you know, mid last year, I think, I think maybe even before the start of the year, they resigned Derek Barnett. He's under contract. So like they have guys at interior defensive line. I think, you know, if Jalen Carter's here for the Eagles, I think that should be a snap, like run the card up because you need another guy who's going to take over for Fletcher Cox. But I think they are a little bit set at the edge position and, you know, they, uh, you know, have Hassan Reddick. I didn't even mention him as well. And he, you know, 15 plus sacks again. So I think they have invested a lot already into the edge position with multiple extensions, multiple like uh, double digit million dollar contracts. I don't think they've invested the same in say like uh, interior defensive line or O-lineman, but if the right guy's not there at offensive line, I don't necessarily see them taking like a swing tackle, like a Paris Johnson. And so the, the edge one, I think they've just invested a ton in it. I don't necessarily see them taking someone like a Van Ness or, or Nolan Smith if they're there. Yeah, I would agree. And the corners, yes, they extended both, but Darius Slay is going to be like 33 next year, maybe 32. Um, His deal is a two-year deal, and then James Bradbury's deal is like a a one-and-a-half-year deal, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two years, 18, you know, base value. Um, Not a bad deal, but yeah, both of those guys do need replacing in the near future, so. All right, that is our, uh, you can, the top 10, but subject to change. This will come out on Tuesday. Um, you can see the full analytics mock on pff.com. Obviously, get yourself that PFF Plus subscription, unlock everything so you know what's going on and join the Discord. I mention this again. Every time I bring it up, people ask if they have to pay to get in the Discord. You do not. It is basically free money because we love the people. And uh, it's frankly a lot of fun. Um, this is what we would do. What is the, let's get out of here on this. What is the biggest difference about what the league will do with what we uh, would do here and i have one that comes to mind but i'm curious what it does for you guys i'm guessing it's the same as me i, I mean i think Bijan robinson is going to be a top 10 pick yeah. <laughs> i do i do <laughs> I, I agree i think that's i i agree with you and i think there's 
we talked about the four quarterbacks at the top. We obviously see the value in, in taking shots on quarterbacks. And then, you know, one thing that's important to mention, we did mention a little bit, but like we also have no shame in re-racking at quarterback position. They don't do yeah. well the first year, peace out, try again. And I think teams are very reticent to do that. Um, so you could see a guy, if they don't love him dropping, like you see a Will Levis dropping. Um, and and for that reason, you could see, you know, a Bijan going high. I, I think it's fascinating that the that the Falcons um he's the favorite to go to the Falcons. Um Arjun, who do you think takes him? it's a it's really okay it's a tough one for me i don't see the falcons taking him like they had algier who performed well and their roster just not is just not good enough i will throw in a surprise one. i think the texans could take Bijan. um you know not necessarily because like they have a great roster either i just think you know i've heard that at two the texans no <laughs> at, 12, at 12 they could trade up with the eagles to 10 or something i don't know yeah but i think texans could take um um, part of the reason, you know, he, him playing at Texas, being where Houston is from, you know, Texan scouts probably know a lot about him. They probably have loved him for years. And now that he's finally, you know, declaring for the draft, this could be like, oh, we've had all this information on him. We've scouted him for two years. We think he's the best running back prospect to come out. He could be like super high on their board, but because of positional value, like they're not going to take him super high at two. But at 12, it wouldn't surprise me. And um, I believe on on FanDuel, he has he's the third likeliest team to take Bijan at six to one. So it wouldn't surprise me to go for him to go to the Texans, but I think I think at eight is a little bit too rich in my opinion. I, I so think I, so. oh go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I have a, a real quick, Brad. I want to see if you think this is possible. So let's say he isn't taken and, and the Eagles are on the clock. Howie Rose, so Jerry Jones is gonna pick up the phone, call Howie Roseman, think that he's gonna pull one over on Howie, right? I'm going to get Bijan. I'm going to beat your ass this year. It's going to be great. And, and Howie and the Eagles are just going to fleece the crap out of the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are going to sprint the card up for Bijan. Uh, it's going to be great. He's going to look awesome this year. They're going to lose in the first round of playoffs. If the Cowboys go from 26 to 10, which is basically the Patrick Mahomes trade, to go up and get Bijan Robinson with a division so rival – Give multiple multiple first round picks or at least one to a division rival. I mean, that would just be just glorious. It's the script, it's the script mean, for this year. Yeah, that, just, it's the script. The script has leaked, and George got a copy. That's what. That's what. That's all I'll say. Jerry Jones has been watching Bijan Robinson tapes like he's Booby. He's like vintage Booby Miles. Okay. That's, Love that. I watched I watched Friday Night Lights a couple of days ago in bed. So such a I, good movie. I love the reference, George. Put Booby in. Let Booby spin. I, I legitimately think that's when Jerry Jerry Jones hasn't watched a single play of B. John Robinson's. If you ask him what comes to mind, he just has Booby Miles just turning people into dust uh pre pre-ACL injury. Um I, I, I so did want to make one, yeah, the saddest. Truly, truly the saddest. Let's pour one out. A moment of silence, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make one serious comment amidst, amidst this conversation. For some reason, people keep saying the Patriots ignore positional value and they don't care about trends and yada, yada, yada. I've seen it about the Raiders at seven. I've seen it about the Texans at 12 and the Patriots at 14. People, in the rookie wage scale era, the Patriots have taken one running back in the top 50 ever. And it's Sonny Michelle at 31st with someone with, with their second first round pick in that class going into the, the third year in a row of making the Super Bowl. Like, no, they do. They care. They, they, they've never paid a running back more than $5 million per year ever. <laughs> like, the, the Patriots invented not paying running backs. Like, yeah. And everyone's trying to argue, oh, no, they do their own thing. Like, 
yeah, they do their own thing, which is not be dumb and take running backs in the top 10, top 15 of a draft. So They're, please stop yeah. putting that out there. Um, so now that I said Michelle, that, I'm sure one of the three teams will take him. But yeah, anyway, so Michelle led them to a Super Bowl, though. You forget fact, that. Fact, fact. I do, though. I do think Texans is legit, though. I think they love Bijan. And also, like, if you're not going to take a quarterback, let's say they go Will Anderson and don't go quarterback, what would be more, like, bad franchise trying to, like, appease to fans? But look at our shiny Bijan Robinson. Like, he's going <laughs> to... He's gonna run for eighteen hundred yards when we go three and fourteen. Like, check it out. <laughs> He's so great. All right, that is our podcast. Um, my sons, my God, need to pull it together. Uh, hopefully, you are enjoying the NBA playoffs and the run up to draft season. We love you all. Thanks for hanging out. We will see you again on Wednesday evening. Peace.